today we come back to our series, Do Over. And Reader's Digest, you remember the magazine, Reader's Digest? Do you still get it? Some of you? No? Nobody gets it anymore? Eh. It's cheaper online, right? A while ago, when they used to mail the magazine, when we used to receive it, they had a, a, a campaign from a company, and this company sent a postcard. And this postcard had a mustard seed attached to it. And the message in the postcard says, said something like this. If you have faith, as small as this mustard seed in our particular product, you are guaranteed great to get excellent results and be totally satisfied. You remember also that in that magazine, there was a section of people who wrote back to the magazine. So a few months later, they received a letter from an individual. And the letter said something like this. You will be very interested to know that I planted the mustard seed you sent. It has grown into a very healthy bush, producing wonderful tomatoes. <laughs> I guess you don't know until you try it. Life is composed of all the decisions that we make. Life is full of all the choices that we make, of all the opportunities that we take advantage of. In fact, life is what is formed by us, people, and those choices that we make. Waldo, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, history is a biography. And those words become even more true when we look at the Bible. When we read the stories of the Bible, what could they be without people? What would those stories be without the decisions and choices that people made? What would those stories be or what the Bible would say without the people and the opportunities that they took advantage of or the opportunities that they didn't take advantage of? It would be just a... a, a a mass, a volume full of abstract concepts and, and, and empty of real life experience. So God decided that the best thing for his people, for the most important thing that he has in this world, was to give a book. A book of the experiences, of the opportunities, of the choices, the good ones and also the bad ones. Because see, that is what's beautiful about the Bible. That is not form of stories about people making good choices and behaving well all the time. The beauty of the Bible is that it has the stories of people who made bad choices, people who, who, who made mistakes and, 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 and bad ones, and how God interacted through their lives to give us his story. And today we have an opportunity to make God's story also our story. So we go back to the story of Exodus. The last time we left Moses, hearing the voice of God, and he's giving out excuses. I can't speak. I, I don't know. I'm afraid. But God worked in Moses and, and had the answer for each and every one of his excuses. 
Now Moses going to Egypt, is going to Egypt, and through the time that he's in Egypt, he shows the people, the Hebrews, he shows Pharaoh and everyone who is watching the power of God. By this time, after 10 plagues, attacking the land, attacking the health of the people, attacking the cattle, attacking the firstborn, this is the chance that Pharaoh has to realize that God is so powerful that him, a so-called God, if you remember in Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was God. He was directly a son of Ra, the, the, the God's son. So Pharaoh has to realize now that he is not a match for the power of the true God. It is also an opportunity for the people of Israel, for the Hebrews to realize that this is a chance they'd have to trust completely on God. On the God of Abraham, on the, on the God of Isaac, on the God of Jacob. Because on their own, they had no hope of ever being free. This, this time, was their last chance. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, you, have, you have those texts on your notes inside the bulletin that you received this morning. Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. Did I say 3 before? 13, 13, 13. 1, 3, 13. I'm reading for the English Standard Version. It says, the Lord said to Moses. It, it, it is awesome every time that, that God speaks to someone. It's just not God said, it's God spoke to someone. Because see, that is a, the thing that God continuously does. Even today, he's speaking to us in different ways. Even the Bible says that God speaks to us through different ways. In the old times, it spoke through prophets. In other times, it spoke through, through, through things. In fact, God even spoke through animals. Through a donkey. So God always is seeking ways and opportunities to speak to each one of us. It's up to us to be ready to receive his message. So it says, the Lord said to Moses, verse 2, consecrate. Are you with me? Consecrate. To me, all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now, let me translate consecrate to you this morning. When God does not have what I love the most, He doesn't have anything from me. When God does not have what I love the most, I haven't given Him anything. Verse 2 says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, for from both of man and of beast is mine. Now the word consecrate comes from a term that in the Old Testament was referred as Kadash. In fact, the sanctuary had two parts. The Kodesh, the holy, and the most holy, the Kodesh Kodashim. It's the same root, Kadash. That means that whatever takes the highest place in my life, I have to give to God. Now, all of us, we have something that occupies the highest place in our lives. For some of us, 
It's our families, our spouse, our children. For some of us, it's our possessions, our homes, our cars. For some of us, it's our clothes. Choose. Now I'm getting too close to home. All of us, we have something that takes our first place in our priority list. And that is the thing that we love the most. Let us stop for a second and think. Is this thing, this person, this activity that I love the most in God's hands? Because if it isn't, then I am not consecrating the first thing to me. See, when God is speaking to Moses, he is about to start a new nation. Remember, they're about to leave Egypt. They're about to go. So from a family who came into Egypt as 70 people, now they're a nation. But it's a nation that all they know is the crack of the whip. They don't know any rules. They don't know any order. They don't know social structure. They don't know government. All they know is the crack of the whip because they were forced into labor by the Egyptians. So God is saying, guys, there is a couple of things that you need to learn. Because now you are going to be a nation. And not just a nation. You're going to be my people. So because you are going to be my people, you need to have structure. And this is how the structure begins. Before anything else, it's me. And I don't know, I, I, I guess that at some time in your life, you heard the first commandment out of the ten. What does that say? I am your God. I am your God. And countless times God says, I am the God who took you out of Egypt. It comes back to that story. It refers to this moment when God says, I have to be the first in the structure, in the order in your lives. Because when the thing you love the most is not in my hands, I'm not in your life. See, what God is saying is family, I don't want to be part of your lives. I want to be your life. And I think about this uh, and the way I relate to Paola. Have you ever, you remember when you were dating? Some of you are like, no, not really. It's not <laughs> but, 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 you know, when people date, when people date, when, when, a, when a guy loves a woman and, and, and speaks to her uh, or texts her, whatever they do now, um, you tell her, you know, I love you with part of my life. Ladies, what would you say to that? I don't think that would go well. Especially after the first day, I don't think that would be a second. I don't think that would be a next level. And that is exactly what happens with our relationship with God. God is saying, I can't be just part of your life. I have to be, in fact, I have to be in all of your life. See, as human beings, we, we got this thing that, that we like to compartmentalize our life. 
And, and you heard me say this before, but I, I, you might have forgotten. We have our life that we live at home. We have our life that we live at church. We have our life that we live at work. We have our life that we live at the court when we play, at the field, at the gym. And we have our social life. All those parts of our lives, we might have a different way of communicating. We have a different language. We have different people. We behave differently. Because we do that. We compartmentalize our lives. And, and, and God is probably one of those. At least we hope that isn't the church part. But oftentimes, because we don't allow God to be part of every area of our life, He is not in our life. He's part of our lives only. But yet, when we need something, we ask God to be in that. Are you with me? God is saying, guys, I cannot be with you all the time if you don't let me be part of your life. I don't want to be a piece of your life. I want to be your life. And it's funny because when we allow God to be part of our job, life changes. When we allow God to be part of our family, life changes. When we allow God to be part of our church life, uh, yeah. Because see, one thing is to have a religion. Another one is to have a relationship with God. And I might start to preach right now. Because see, every time that we allow God to be part of every area of our life, of any of those areas of our life, our life in that area begins to change. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be mediocre. So that means that I need to allow the, gun, the, the, the one who has the power to give me the power in every area of my life. So God is saying, guys, I want you, Moses, to tell the people that I need you to give me the first. The first. That means the one who controls what matters most to me is the one that dictates my relationship with God. Who controls the thing that matters more to you? The second is a consequence. The second point is a consequence of the first one. The first one is that when God does not have what I love the most, He does not have anything. But see, the consequence of that is that when I give God what He asks me, is that my experience with God will transcend generations. It would not stop with me. Verse 3, Exodus 13, then Moses said to the people, remember. Now, this is awesome. Every time God says, remember. By the way, every time that God speaks, we have to remember. But see, when God says, remember, it's because it's of the utmost importance. And then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, that is... On its own, it's a special moment. This is Freedom Day. This is Liberation. This is Independence Day. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today. Today, verse 4 says, in the month of Abib, you are going out. Question. 
Had it already happened? No, it hadn't happened. Moses is telling the people what God is going to do before it happens. So this is a chance that Moses is telling the people, guys, this is the opportunity. This is your chance. This is the moment that either you take your backs and you trust in God or you stay here and die as a slave. And you know that God speaks to us every single day because every single day God is telling us, remember this day. Because the choices that you'll make today either will get you closer to me or set you apart from me. Every decision that we make gets us closer to heaven or away. And this is a beautiful thing. Whoa, it's 12.5. Let me keep going. 13.14. And when, it when in time to come to your sons, it says, they will ask you, what does this mean? Who's asking? The children. That means that who will ask the question will be the next what? Are you breathing this morning? So the decision of the parents will in fact affect the next generation. Children ask all kinds of questions. And if you've been a parent for one second, you realize that. But one of the most craziest questions that I've ever heard from a child was before I even became a parent. See, I was a lifeguard for the city of Pasadena for seven summers. And uh, my job as a water safety instructor was to teach kids how to swim. So one day, I, I was in charge of teaching level two. And level two are the kids that are not able to stand on the pool anymore. They actually need to swim and float. So the sessions were for, for eight days, four days a week for two weeks. And on the second day of the first session, this boy is looking at me. He's holding on to the side of the pool, and he's looking at me, and he said, Teacher, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure, sure, shut away. And he goes, when are we going to learn how to breathe underwater? <laughs> I was like, well, uh, never? <laughs> That's uh, in another level. That's level four. Um, but see, kids ask questions like that. And see, the, the crazy thing is this, that see, as adults, we tell children what to do. You agree with that? We tell children what to do. The crazy thing is this, that what they learn is not what they hear us saying. What they learn is what they see us doing. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking of all the times that I made mistakes as parents. And I began to write a list that I will never share with you. <laughs> but I was thinking, how many times I could have said, I could have done things a lot different. If I had paused and seek God's guidance. Because every time I made a mistake as a parent was because I didn't. Let God be first. I thought I had it. I thought I knew it. And every time I did that, I wish it could take back. So God is saying, people, think about this. Whatever 
your experience with me is, either I'm part of your whole life or just part of a little bit, that is what your kids are going to learn. My, my goal in life as a parent is only this. It's not complicated. It's very simple. That the one thing that my kids remember when they're older is that in my house, they learn to love Jesus. So now the people hear from Moses, Moses, uh, uh, people, this is the chance. This is the last chance. This is your last opportunity to trust in God before we leave Egypt or before you never see us again. The third lesson that they needed to learn was this. We might forget God. I don't know what your choice is going to be. I don't know if you're going to choose to trust in God or not. But see, you might forget God, but God never forgets us. Verse 16, it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. It'll be a mark. Those who would trust in God and those who would go out to the promised land, somehow at some level, will remember that day. They will remember the events. They will remember the plagues. They will remember the night when the, when the angel of death hovered and passed over Egypt, killing the firstborn of those whose houses did not have the marks of the blood on the, on the doorposts. And they will remember the day that they were freed from slavery. Remember, for 400 years they had been there. Generations of Israelites were born in slavery. They did not know what freedom was like. They didn't know what it was to stand in front of the soda machine at the 7-Eleven and think, diet or regular. They didn't know that. So now their life choices will be completely different. But see, the words of Moses to the people on this day, you will remember the strong hand of the Lord was not a new thing. You see, in Genesis, God had already spoke these words. God speaks to Abraham. Now you understand why every time the Jews or the Israelites talk about the past, they say the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. Because it was to Abraham whose this promise was given to in the first place. And it says right there in verse 13 and 14 of Genesis 15, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring, who was his offspring? The Israelites in Egypt, in Egypt, right? The Hebrew people will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Hmm. Were they in a land that was theirs? No, it was Egypt. It was a, a different land. And will be servants there. Are you breathing with me? Well, not with me, but sometimes. And they will be afflicted for, check this out. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. God had already told Abraham what was going to happen to the letter. Verse 14, but I. It's amazing. Every time things are bad and we hear, but God or but I. See, it's going to be doomy, it's gloomy, it's going to be dark, it's going to be horrible for 100 years. But I. But I will bring judgment on the nation they will serve. Remember the plagues? How many? 
Not one judgment. Ten. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Have you ever wondered how they produce all the gold and silver to build the sanctuary? They were slaves. They didn't have a bank account or 401ks. When they came out of Egypt, the Egyptians gave them wealth to leave. God had already declared what was going to happen. Let's go back to Exodus 21, I mean 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and, uh, and led them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and they might travel, that they might travel by day and by night. And by night. Now God fulfilled a promise, family. And uh, one of the beautiful things about this is this image of the pillar of fire. In the morning, it was a cloud. Let me remind you where they were. They were in the desert in the Middle East. The desert, even here in the middle desert valley in California, not the Middle East, but the middle of the desert valley here in California, it's hot. We're talking about the time before sunscreen was invented. So God said, guys, you're going to be walking. You're going to be living in the desert for a while. Let me give you protection, SPF 1000. Let me give you a little bit of humidity. Let me give you something that along the way in the journey will protect you so that you can live without being overly exhausted or damaged by the sun. But it was also a pillar of fire at night. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert at night. It's dark. It's cold. God says, guys, I got you. I'm going to give you light, and I'm going to give you heat. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just protection. It was also guidance. Wherever that column of fire went, it was God leading them to the next place where I had to go. This is the first ever navigation system. God is saying, people, I got you. You don't know where you're going. I know where you have to go. All you have to do is take advantage of the opportunity that I'm giving you. Verse 22. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. What happened? The cloud and the pillar of fire did not depart from the people. Now, let me tell you something that you probably don't know. The walk, listen well, because it was a walk. It was a hike to the promised land from Egypt. The walk from the gates of Egypt to the promised land was supposed to take only 11 days. How long did it take him? 40 years. 
40 years. The cloud was there. The pillar was there. But see, God didn't say, guys, you know what? It was supposed to be only 11 days. It's been 11 years. Forget it. You're on your own. No, God did not say that. Because see, even though the people forgot about the promises of God and forgot about God regularly, God never forgot about his people. It might get dark at times. It might get cold and horrible at times. But guess what? God will never forget about you. Even though we might forget about him, he will never forget about us. Because God has promised that he'll be there every step of the way. And as we meditate on these words, Martha is going to sing a song that will bring us closer to the experience that God wants us to experience. Thank you. 
perhaps you're thinking, well, you know, I made mistakes in the past. I, I, I haven't placed God in first place. But the invitation is still open today. Today, it's a new beginning. Today, it's a new opportunity. Today is a new chance that God has given us to put them, to put them first place in our lives. And if today you want to take that chance and you want to place God in control of your life, pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are, we are so glad and privileged to have a God who even though we make mistakes, he does not see what we are today. But you see, God, what we can become with you. And Father, today I pray for my brothers, for my sisters, for my friends. Because today we're all in that desert. We felt the cold and the darkness of this world. We felt the damage of being exposed to the times that we live in today have made on us. And we, Father, we, we want to thank you because today we have the opportunity to, to take you as our protection, to take you as our guidance. But Father, beyond that today, we want to tell you that we want you to be our Lord. So today, as you read our minds and hearts, May the decision that we made today be a mark on our foreheads, be a mark in our hands that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. In His name we pray.